Thank you, God, for what you've done in our lives. Lord, more importantly, God, for who you are. And the fact that you love us and you care about us, Lord, it's just who you are. As we sang songs today, Lord, I just know, God, it's obvious that your Holy Spirit is at work. It's obvious that he has orchestrated all of this because there are hurting people here. God, there are people that need a special touch from you. God, there, there are people that need to hear from your word today. God, there may be people here that think they're here by accident or, or just happenstance that they're in this place. God, but we know that you have brought them here for a reason, and that is to hear from you, God, and that for you to speak directly to their hearts. So, Lord, I just pray that we'd be attentive to that. Lord, as we look into your word and what you have to say to us, God, I pray that we just open our ears and open our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say, and God, may it change our lives forever. God, we know that your word has the power to do that. So, God, we praise your name for it. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, Kayla and I sometimes talk about the message or talk about what I'm going to say, but that's actually pretty rare. (laughs) Normally, we just let the Holy Spirit take over and orchestrate the songs And it's just amazing the way God works in her the same way he works in me and how he puts things together and how when we're praying over certain things or we have certain things on our heart, how God, it's like through the songs, he's just able to speak to us. It it warms my heart to know that God is at work and he's doing those things and I'm so excited about that. So you may be less excited to find out that our sermon series for the next couple weeks is going to be on the book of Ruth. Every time I say, hey, we're going to be in the Old Testament, everybody goes, oh, good, I get to get a nap. <laughs> you know, I, now's the time for me to catch up on my rest because I've really had a rough week at work, and, and now since we're going to be in the Old Testament, we don't necessarily have to pay attention so much. It's stuff that we've heard before, and yeah, this will be good. I can, get, I can catch up on some sleep. So uh, I hope that you don't feel that way because let me tell you something. The stuff in the Old Testament is just as powerful as the stuff in the New Testament. Everybody's like, I don't know about that, Kenny. I saw Peter walking on water, and that was really, really good. We talked about that, and we did the Miraculous series. Let me tell you something. There's some stuff in Ruth. It is not irrelevant because of how long ago it was written. I promise you it is still relevant today. I promise you can still speak to your heart. It can show you things about yourself. It can show you things about the world around us. I promise you that the same battles that we fight, whether it be spiritual, physical, whatever, they still fought the same battles back then. They still fought the same battles of anxiety, of pressure, of doubt, lack of faith, all of those kinds of things that you and I struggle with today. I promise you, you can find all of that same stuff in the Old Testament. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that it's not a little bit more difficult to find sometimes. Because it is. When you dig into the Old Testament and you start reading in Leviticus, sometimes it's kind of difficult to be like, okay, God, you're going to have to really speak to me here because I'm struggling to get this one, you know? But I'm telling you, if you will really dig into Bible study, I mean, if you really will, if you will say, I'm not just going to read it, I'm actually going to study it, I'm actually going to look up and I'm going to Google some of these terms and figure out what they mean. And I'm going to see when it says it's got a little reference down here to something in the New Testament. I'm going to go and figure out what that is and what God's really trying to say to me through it. If you will do that, I promise you, you will have your eyes open and your heart will just break wide open when you read God's Word in the Old Testament. 
See, we see evidence of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. That's why it's there. <laughs> that's why it's there. It's called a Christophany, okay? When you got a pre-incarnate, that's one of the big words. Okay, so like before Jesus was on the earth, like before he was walking around and stuff, there would be these appearances of Jesus. Like they would see Jesus. Everybody's looking at me like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about right here. Do you remember the fiery furnace? You know, Daniel's three buddies, they, the, the three buddies thrown into the, the furnace. and like, But there's four in there. That's a Christophany. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. He was there even though he hadn't walked on the earth yet. You follow me? Okay, so the Old Testament is there to show us Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And then he comes to fruition in the form of flesh and blood in the New Testament. Okay, I have to catch you up, all right? So that's why we talk about the Old Testament. Because Jesus is in there. Yes, it's still the God of the Bible. Everybody's like, well, that's a different God of the Bible. No, 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 no. It is the same God of the Bible. You may have to look at it uh, from a little bit different perspective and understand the people and the places and where they were and what they were doing to understand that it's the same God, but it is the same God in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. All right, so that's my rant on the Old Testament, okay? I'm done with that. You guys are just going to have to stay awake, okay? All right, so we're going to be in the book of Ruth. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Ruth, Ruth, get to Ruth. We'll be in chapter 1. We're going to be talking about one chapter today. And then from there, I don't know. We may go two chapters in one day. I don't know. But right now, I'm just thinking one chapter uh, per Sunday. So get ready. We're going to be in the book of Ruth. And you're going to be like, wow, man, I didn't know. I didn't know Ruth. I didn't, I didn't know that had anything to do with me. Yes, I promise you it does. I promise you it does. What is it that, that I want to tell you about the book of Ruth? What, what is it that, like, from a high-level perspective, what do I want you to get out of this? Really what it boils down to is this. I want you to see that in the mundane, everyday drudgery of life, okay? I don't, I don't know if some of you ever look at your life like that, but sometimes it's mundane and it is drudgery, okay? Like some of you that are school teachers are going, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, it, it is. Some days it is like, oh, how can God be in this, you know? I just got threw up on, you know, if you're a school teacher or, you know, like, I mean, there's just like some stuff that goes on at work. You know, your boss is yelling at you or you didn't even do anything, but he's yelling at you anyway. I mean, like, how can God be in this? I want you to see through the book of Ruth that, that God is in every single mundane detail of your life and everything that just seems to go on and you're like, well, there's no way that God is in this. I want you to see that God is there and he's doing something. He's orchestrating things and he's actually working it out in your life even though you can't really see it. Now, I know we talk about this a lot in general uh, as we talk about different passages we look at, but really in this, in this particular book, I want you to take a look at the fact that God is doing something here. And it doesn't even look... It, admittedly, chapter 1 doesn't start out very good. It doesn't look... It's not a happy-go-lucky kind of book at the beginning. Like, you know, books at the beginning are supposed to capture your attention. You're like, oh, I'm in. You know what I mean? Like a good story has got to be something that draws you in at the beginning. It's got you, you know? Ruth's not exactly like that. <laughs> I, I, I like to tell you the truth. It's simple, church. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like, even when it comes to the Bible, I will tell you, like, it's not really gripping at the beginning. It gets kind of rough at the beginning, but we get there, okay? We get to see God doing something. Not every story in our life starts out just wow, you know what I mean? You get puked on at work, it doesn't, that's not wow, you know? But that is life. That's how it happens. And I love the transparency that we see in the people in the Old Testament. I love how we see, man, they're just like you and me. They're, they're, yeah, there's some heroes of the faith, but a lot of them are doofuses, man, just like me. They really are. 
There's some heroes out there who are doing some great things for God because they got great faith, but sometimes they're just dumb. I mean, that's the reality of life. If you know me very well, you know, man, a lot of times he's just dumb. If you don't believe me, go ask my wife. I promise you she will tell you. Sometimes he's just dumb. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He, she'll tell you, listen to him while he's up here. But if he's down there, don't listen to him. You know, she'll tell you that. Uh, it's just how it is, right? So here we see Ruth. We see God in the middle of just the everyday drudgery of life. Let me set the scenes for you a little bit. They don't really have a king in Israel at this time. As a matter of fact, if you look back one page from Ruth, you can see in Judges, the last verse of Judges says this. It says, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Oh, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> like, amen, let's do that, Kenny. I'm in on that. Let's just, whatever we think is right, let's go with that. And then we'll just live right there in that space. That'll work out for us, won't it? You imagine? Man, there'd be fist fights right here in this room if we thought that was okay. You know what I mean? Like, it ain't working out so good when everybody just says, I'm going to just do what's right in my own eyes, and that'll be good enough, and it'll be fine. Ain't wrong. It doesn't work well for us because, you know why? Because like I said a minute ago, we're pretty dumb a lot of times. We're dumb more often than we're smart. So it doesn't work out real well when we say we're just going to do whatever we think we should do. Well, that's the situation the Israel's in right now. And here, I mean, you almost read this book and you're like, it's just a story about some folks. And really it is, but I'm telling you, God is in it. Just like God is in your life doing great things that you may not even see, you may recognize. God is in this book. So let's go dig in. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Wait a second. I thought these were God's people. You mean God's people sometimes suffer hardships? Kenny, you must be joking. You need to go back and reread that. Yes, famine came upon the land. You know why? Because we live in this broken world. It has bad stuff happen in it sometimes. That's the reality of the place we live in. I don't care if you're God's chosen people or not. Bad stuff's going to happen to you. The sun rises and sets on the unjust just like the just. Every single person is going to suffer some bad times. Unfortunately, here we've got Israel has got a severe famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, you may have heard that name before, Bethlehem. You might want to keep that in the back of your memory, okay? You know, y'all remember Jesus, like that's where he was born, right? Everybody got that? Okay, yeah. So Bethlehem in Judah left it. It's going to be important later. You might want to memorize verse 2 because Bethlehem is going to be important when we get to the end of Ruth. So just say it. Uh, from, uh, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in a country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their sons were Milan and Kilian, and they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. All right, so we got these people. They're, they're a family, right? They're hanging out. Now, what's interesting, <laughs> what's interesting about the, uh, the kids' names, apparently, Whoever it is, the narrator for this particular book, has really got an interest in their names. Their names are very important. Because Naomi, actually, the, their names always had some kind of meaning behind them. Naomi meant pleasant. Oh, that's pleasant coming down the road. Well, that's very nice. Wouldn't you like to be called pleasant? Who is that? Oh, that's pleasant. Okay, well, I know pleasant. Do you know pleasant? Yeah, that would be a great name to have, right? Well, their kids' names, <laughs> this cracks me up, um, their kids' names were sickly and wasting away. Now, I'm not making that up. 
<laughs> I'm not making that up. Like, I don't know if they necessarily chose those names for their kids or they were just called that, but their names are li literally sickly and wasting away. Now, can you imagine? This is little baby sickly. It's his brother wasting away over there. Uh, you know, imagine naming your kid Jaundice. You know, I mean, like, baby Jaundice. Uh, it's really bizarre, but that's, their names are sickly and wasting away. Actually, the wasting away almost means like extinction, almost to the point of extinction. It's, it's really weird, right? But anyway, so sickly and wasting away. They're with their mom and dad, Pleasant uh, and Elimelech, and they're going. they got to get out of town, right? Why is that a big deal? Well, Bethlehem actually is named meaning the place of bread. Like, the place of bread has no bread, <laughs> right? So they, there's famine in the land. They're starving to death. They're like, i got to go somewhere else. And where do they go? They go to this place to the east called Moab. And that's not exactly where they're supposed to go. See, these people, in, the Moabites don't really worship the same God that Jewish people worship. The people of Israel, you know, they worship Yahweh, the one true God. They worship him, but, but over in, uh, the Moabites don't really do that. You know, they got their own set of gods. They got their own worship way and all this kind of stuff, and they do their own thing. So if you go from a place where they worship God, that'd be like me and you packing up our stuff and going over to Iraq. Now we're going to start, you know, sowing some bread over there, making some wheat over there, you know. Now, it didn't sound like the best place in the world to go try to grow wheat, but you know what I'm saying. So they were going into a foreign land with a bunch of foreign gods and people who didn't worship the way they did and didn't really do the stuff they did. And think about it. When you're around people that are like-minded with you, worship the same God, it's a little bit easier. It's familiar. You've got people to encourage you and build you up. That, by the way, that's why we have church. If you're wondering why we gather here like this, it's so you can be around people that believe like you and worship like you and love Jesus like you. And that's important. Y'all should be nodding your head right now. It's, it's important for you to be here. It's important for you to recognize that you're not alone. That, 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 like, I know you feel alone at work or at school. Like Nobody else loves Jesus there. But when you come in here, you're like, you know what? I'm really not the only one that loves Jesus. You know, That's why this is so important, in case you're wondering. That's why we do this on Sundays and Wednesdays. Is so you recognize you're not alone. And we can be an encouragement to each other and lift one another up and pray for one another. And just love one another. Now, if you go to Iraq, you're probably not going to have so much of that. Am I right? It's probably, I mean, like you've got to be in a pretty desperate situation to allow that to happen. And I believe they are. Elimelech, he's like, yo, sickly, wasting away. Come on, kids, we've got to go. We've got to go to the land of Moab. I know it's not what we want to do. I know you're leaving all your friends behind and you're family behind all I know that but we got to do this to survive they're in survival mode now I mean they're like well, this is what we got to do it's a cheery story so far right all right like all right Kenny I'm in we got godly people going into ungodly land because they're starving to death I'm in this is a good story let's keep going all right good I'm glad you said that we'll do that so it gets better those of you that read ahead in verse 3 shame on you then Elimelech died. Oh, good. <laughs> Another cheery element to the story. Elimelech, the daddy, he died. Okay, sounds like a Disney movie. Uh, now, if it was a Disney movie, the mama would have died, by the way. But anyway, so Elimelech, Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. So she's a widow. She's got two kids to take care of. She's in a foreign land. 
A bunch of people that don't worship the same God she worships. And here they're stuck in this situation together. Right? It's, it's not happy, folks. This is not good stuff that's going on here. But isn't this life? I mean, this is life, isn't it? I mean, this is the way it goes sometimes. It ain't real pretty, and it don't, you know, there's not a nice bow around it, and there's not a happily ever after. At the end, it's just life, and sometimes this is what happens. So the two sons, okay, it gets better, married Moabite women. Okay, so now they're intermarrying with the people from the foreign land. And although there's this, I'm sure it's kind of bittersweet because the kids are getting married. You're like, well, we're here. They probably are going to marry Moabite women. That's probably going to happen. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll tell them about the God that we know and we love that cares for us and takes care of us and all of that kind of thing. And maybe they'll serve the same God. But at the same time, these are women that are used to worshiping another God and doing their own thing. And just, it's got to be difficult. It's got to be bittersweet for Naomi to look at her kids who got two sons. And that's all she's got left, right? She, she, I mean, her husband's gone. It's just her and the two sons. And they marry these Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah. That's not Oprah, by the way. If you're looking at it and thought, well, that's Oprah. No, she's on TV, or was. This is Orpah. It's funny what happens to Orpah. If you think this is Oprah, you might see some similarities. Wait just a little bit. And the other, a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Killian died. This story just keeps getting better and better and better. Kenny, I just can't wait till you get to the end. This is going to be good stuff. This left Naomi alone with her two sons without her two sons or her husband. So here we've got these two Moabite women have married the sons of Naomi. Naomi's left alone. Now she's got two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Sometimes, and you may feel differently about this, sometimes mothers and daughter-in-laws don't get along so well. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in the world that you live in, but sometimes that does happen. Uh, I've never seen it personally, but I know that there are times when a mother and the daughter-in-laws don't get along so well. Can you imagine a mother with two daughter-in-laws that are from Iraq? <laughs> like, we're trying to make this work. We're trying to hang out and all, like, make this family work. And the two sons, it was the only connection to them, are gone now and... All right, let's, let's make this work. Kenny, this is a dreadful situation. You're right, okay? Like, it is tough. But there is good news in the midst of all this. Yeah, everybody's dead, and yeah, everybody's from a foreign land and all that kind of stuff. But there is really good news in this. I promise you, you just have to hang with it sometimes in God's Word. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed the people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So back home, they... The famine is kind of coming to a close, and they got some good crops coming in, and, and Bethlehem is starting to take on its namesake and starting to have bread again. So this is good. This is really good. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law, you English folks know that that's daughters-in-law, got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-laws, daughters she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes. 
Hang with me for a second. Everybody's like, huh, what? All right. Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Now, this is not like a bunch of women, is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I say that out loud? What am I doing up here, man? Good grief. I'll be going out that door when the service is over with. So, anyway, so the women are all, like, talking about the... So, they, they go down the road. They're on their way, you know, back to Judah, and they're, they're going back home, and they're going to hang out there for a while and eat bread back home, and this is all good and stuff. And, and so, they're down the road a ways, and she turns to her daughters-in-law and says... Look, you guys are free. You got no obligations to me. I'm like cutting you loose here. This is your chance. If you want to get away, now's the time to do it. So we, we've left the place from where we were living. So I'm showing you that I'm for real about leaving. So they're going back on their way to Judah. And she goes, she turns to him and says, All right, look, you need to return back to your mother's home. Now, this is kind of weird the way it's worded. But really what it's saying is this is your opportunity to go back and find a husband and to go back and have kids and kind of start your life over again. This is the time for you to go back and almost like kind of pretend like this never really happened, but you got a chance now to start over. And Naomi's really giving her daughters-in-law this opportunity saying, look, I know that you worship a different God and I know that you think very differently than we do. And here's your chance. If you want to go back to the way it was, you're welcome to do that. This is your chance to go back and, and start over and, and do things the way maybe you'd planned on doing before me and my husband and my sons ever entered into your life. This is your chance to go back and do it the way you've always wanted to do it. I mean, it's like she's giving them the chance to hit the reset button in their lives. Some people, some people have this opportunity in their life to say, you know what, things didn't work out the way that I, I wanted them to. Things didn't exactly transpire the way I thought they were going to happen. And you're kind of given a choice. So some people's lives get really turned upside down. Like people die, uh, friends go away, loved ones go away, stuff happens, and your life gets turned upside down. And you kind of are presented with a choice. You can go left, you can go right. You can go towards God or away from God. And here we see... The reality of that situation, and we see really what the percentages are in a lot of ways. We see really what the percentages are. So she got two daughters-in-law. And here, listen to what they said. So first, listen. So they break down, they're weeping, they're crying, they're like, and they say initially, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No. My daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, when I get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Now, that don't sound like she's a real good witness, does it? I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ. 
You know what people need to see out of you more than just a big smile on your face all the time like everything's going well and everything's happy-go-lucky and nothing ever goes wrong in your life? You know what they need to see? They need to see the real you. They need to see when you're hurting, you look hurt. Uh, when, when bad things come into your life, you don't have to try to cover it up and put a big smile on your face and act like it's not happening. You can actually be you and still have a testimony for Jesus Christ, still have a testimony for the God who loves you. It's so that when you look in the face of disaster or turmoil or all these things that come into our lives, you can just say, it's bad right now. It's really bad right now, and I'm really hurting right now. But it's okay because I know God, and I know who loves me. And what she says here, she says, the Lord himself has raised up his fist against me. She says that every single thing that's come into my life has been because of the Lord. She's still acknowledging God. She's not happy with him, but she's still acknowledging God. She's not happy with the circumstances of her life, but she's saying, God is still in control. God is the one that brought all this stuff into my life, so, so God is the one that's going to see it through to completion. You know what people need to see you do? They need to see you hurting and broken and weep and all that stuff, and then they need to see you acknowledge that God is still in control. That God is the one that has your life in his hand. says in verse 14, and again they wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Not Oprah. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. What happened? Orpah started thinking about it. I really think Orpah's like, yeah, I think you're right. I can't wait for you to have more kids and them to grow up, and that's going to... That's going to put a hurt on my timeline. I don't know if I got that kind of time, Naomi. I really, I want to have kids. I want to have a family. I want to have a husband and all this kind of stuff. And you're right. That timeline is not working for me. I need a different timeline. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. This is important. To her gods. You should do the same. These Moabite women have a chance to go back and worship the gods they used to worship. They weren't the true God, but they were their gods that they worshipped, right? So they were their way of doing religion. And they were wrong, but this, these women got a chance to go back to it. And Naomi, even maybe as a test, says, hey, look, Orpah's going back. She's... she's she took me up on my offer. She's cutting me loose. She's going back and doing what she used to do. This is what Ruth replied. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. You see, one's got the chance to go left, go back home, go right, follow Naomi, go back to the land of Israel, go back to their God. Right? What does this say? What does this say? I think it says a couple of things. I think it says that they saw Naomi's faith. They saw the God that Naomi worshipped. They saw the God that Naomi followed. And they're like, 
I think there's something to that. I think Naomi's testimony spoke to her daughters-in-law. I think her, her testimony spoke volumes to, to the fact that, that their God loved them and cared for them and was there to support them and take care of every need. And because of that, because Naomi is so faithful to her God and wants to go back to her people, now that, now that her husband is gone and dead and, and there's nothing she can do, all she can do is turn back to God. And that's what she does. Now, don't miss me. Orpah had the same opportunity. She had the same chance. She could, she could go towards the God of Israel or she could go back home and worship her own gods. When people's lives are turned upside down, they got a choice. Either go to God or away from God. And I would say it's about 50-50. I would say, Kenny, that sounds very pessimistic. I'm giving you the real numbers. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything in here. I'm not going to tell you like, it, like it's supposed to be. I'm going to tell you like it is. People, when, when, when tragedy comes and difficulties come and hardships come and nothing works out like you planned on, you got a choice to either go to God or away from God, it's about 50-50. It really is. It's about 50-50 as to whether or not people go towards God or away from God, and that's exactly what we see in this story. Ruth said, don't ask me to get away from you, Naomi. Don't do that because I'm going to be where you're going to be. Your people are going to be my people. And your God is going to be my God. See, you got to understand this day and time, the, the wife always took the religion of whatever the husband was. And so she wasn't going to, I mean, she wasn't going to be like Muslim and her, you know, her, her husband Christian. She always, she would follow whatever the husband believed. Well, now Naomi has given them the chance that you can go back. You don't have to be Christian anymore. You can be what you always wanted to be. You can go do that now. I think Naomi's testimony about who God is and her trust in God and her faith in God is spoken to her daughters-in-law. And now Ruth is like, I'm going to worship the God you worship. I'm going to go where you go. And these people, they're going to be my family. This is so profound. This is so profound. you you, you got to keep coming through this, this Ruth series to find out why it's profound. Some of you already know, and don't give the secret away to the others, but you got to stick in there, hang in there, so that you can find out how this plays into the whole big picture of this book. So the two women continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the town was excited by their arrival. Is, this, is it really Naomi? The women asked. Is this her? Did she really come back? She's been gone for a long time. We're not even sure that we recognize her. Maybe she's put on a few pounds. I don't know. You know, everybody back in, in, in Israel, man, they kind of wasted away a little bit because there's famine in the land. And maybe Naomi was able to eat pretty good over in the land of Moab. And, and she's put on a few pounds. They're like, is this Naomi? Yes, this is really her. The women are talking. This is not like women at all, is it? So the women are talking and asking, is this really Naomi? She responds to him, don't call me Naomi. She responded instead, call me Mara. The Almighty has made, a life, has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth. 
the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we're going to end right there in chapter 1. What do we see here? We see Naomi saying, you used to call me pleasant, but now I want you to call me bitter. My name used to be Naomi, but now my name is going to be Mara. I'm telling you, folks, listen to me. She's had a rough life. Things are not looking so good for Naomi or Mara now. Things are not so happy-go-lucky in this family. She had two daughters-in-law, and one of them is turning on away, and now she's got one, and I'm sure she's thankful for that, and I'm sure she's, she's glad that, that Ruth is there with her. But their husbands are dead, and she's too old to have kids, and things just aren't really good for her. But you know what? She says, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to act like I haven't been through a lot. I'm not going to act like everything's wonderful and happy in my life. As a matter of fact, so much so, I want you to call me bitter. But listen, listen. So you know that there's got to be a turning point in the story. You know there's got to be more to the story than this. And there is. There is. But listen to me. Where is she? She's back in the fellowship of other believers, people that believe like she does, people that serve the God that she serves, people that love the same God, people that worship the way she worships. You know what? If you're in this place and you're bitter, don't leave. You know what the message is today? If your life's turned upside down and life really stinks and it's really hard and you don't like where you are and you got bitterness in your heart, still come here. Still come and be in the fellowship of other believers, people that worship the same God you worship, even though you may not feel really close to him right now. If you come in here, if you go in the place where God is, I promise you, I promise you something will change in your life and God will be able to use it. So don't quit. Don't quit. That's the thing I try to tell people all the time. People that say, I was close to God at one time, but I'm not anymore. I just tell them don't give up. I just tell them don't stop. You may not feel like coming and worshiping today, but come anyway. There's been so many times where I didn't want to come to church, and I came anyway, and I walk out of here going, man, I'm so glad that I did. But there is never in the history of my life, and I tell you this in all 100% honesty, there has never been a time where I was really jazzed about coming to church, and I came in and said, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have went there today. If I did... If there was ever a time like that in my life, it was because my heart was full of bitterness. My heart was full of wrath towards God. My heart was not in the place that it needed to be for me to listen to God. But so often what happens when I'm in that deep, dark place and I'm like, God, I don't want to hear from you. God just does surgery on my heart. He starts cutting away. He takes this word and he starts doing surgery. He starts cutting away. And if I stay with it, if I keep coming, if I keep coming and I keep coming and I don't give up and I don't stop, what happens? Surgery, he extracts out all the bitterness, all the malice, all the dirt, all the filth, all the nastiness, and starts doing a healing work and sewing me back up. Sewing me back up. Sometimes it takes a long time. Don't get me wrong. But my message to you is don't you quit. I've heard people say, well, failure's not an option, right? 
Everybody knows the movie A Few Good Men. Failure is not an option. I'm telling you, what's not an option is quitting. It's quitting. Don't quit. You may fall short. You may feel like I'm not equipped. I'm not doing the right thing. Just don't stop. Just don't stop. You know what I believe? I believe that's what I believe that's what Ruth said. I'm not a quitter. I'm not a quitter. I know what I saw in you, Naomi. I know what I saw in my husband who is dead now. I know what I saw, and I know it was real. And because of that, I'm going to go where you go. And your people are going to be my people, and I'm going to be right there with you worshiping that God that you worship. My message today to you, don't quit. Don't quit. Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for the power of Ruth's testimony. Lord, and the fact that she stayed with Naomi. Lord, I thank you for the fact that Naomi didn't try to cover it up, didn't act like she, she wasn't bitter. God, but I thank you for the fact that she said, you know what, the Lord is at work. The Lord is the one who brought this into my life, and the Lord is the one I have my trust in. And that is the reason I'm going back to the Lord's land, to the land that I came from. I'm going back to the place that we were. No matter what people say about me, no matter what people may think about me, I'm going to do what I know that I'm supposed to do because I want to be in the fellowship of God's people. I want to be right there where God would have me to be. Lord, I just pray, God, if there's people in here, Lord, if they feel distant from you, God, I pray that they would feel at home in the fellowship of other believers, people that believe in the one true God, God the, the, the one true God who has a sovereign hand in every single thing that we endure. I know that sometimes we feel empty and alone and all of those things, God, but I pray that people would come here so they can be in the fellowship of other believers and they can feel like they are a part of something bigger than themselves. God, help people today. Broken people, hurting people, empty people. God, help them today. God, may we be vessels that you can use, God, to, to help people to know that you are God and know that you're at work in their life even if they may not see it. God, I pray, Lord, for somebody here. Maybe they don't know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they don't have a relationship with you and they know that. And God, I just pray, Lord, if there's somebody here like that, I pray that they would come and just pray at this altar. Come and get me. Let me talk to them about what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to stay with Christ no matter what. God, I pray if there's somebody like that, I pray that they would not resist your Holy Spirit, but they would run to you and they would fall into your arms of grace today. God, whatever you need to do in people's lives, however you need to use this word to change somebody's life, God, I pray that we'd be obedient to it. God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word and the power of your word and the Holy Spirit who moves within us. God, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand?